Let's pray together. Well, Father in heaven, that's our prayer. We thank you for songs that uh, get us ready for <clears throat> your word, the message, the sermon. And that is our prayer, God, that you would come and make us alive and breathe life into our hearts. Father, we ask for that. And we thank you, God, that you've brought us here. It is super cold outside, and yet we're here, and we're, we're glad we made it, and we're, we've got the heat on, and we're, we're, we're staying warm. And, and Lord, we pray here over the next few minutes that you would do that very work in us. By your word, the truth, speak to us. And cause it, God, to take root in our hearts that we would be believers, worshipers. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. I know that uh, we have uh, put our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark on, on hold through the holidays. I preached um, a, a couple of sermons on, on Christmas topics, and now here we are. Um, into the new year, and we're going to hold off another week or two uh, from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to get back to the Gospel of Mark really soon. I'm looking forward to it. We're actually right in the middle. We had just finished chapter 8 in Mark, and there's 16 chapters, and uh, we're going to get there, um, but just a few more. I, I wanted to begin uh, the, the new year with, with just a few things, and I want to get us back to uh, this idea of worship, and I want to just spend this morning talking about worship and what worship is and reminding you of that and in hopes what, what they just sang and what our prayer is, that, that you would be somebody that worships God. So what I want to do today is look at Matthew chapter 2, which if you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible, and that will be page 857. And then we're also going to look at the very last chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, which is page 918. So we're going to be at 857 in the Pew Bible and 918 in the Pew Bible, Matthew 2 and Matthew 28. Uh, really what we're going to do is we're going to look at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, and then we're going to look at the very end, and, and hopefully you can see that the, the emphasis remains the same there in Matthew's gospel. The idea is, is about worship. And I want to talk to y'all today about that. You know, this that we're doing right now is a worship service. We have a sign out front, a really big sign, that says, Join us for worship. Sundays at 1045 a.m. and Sundays at 6 p.m. That is when our church gathers for worship. That's the reason why we're here. And I know, like you, like me, like, like all of us, we have a whole host of reasons why we come. Good for our family. We think it's important. We need our kids to learn how to behave and get some sense knocked into them. You know, all of these different reasons why we're here. It's a good way to make some friends, meet some people, all of that sort of thing. A lot of different reasons why we come to church. But our mission statement, which is on the front of your bulletin, it's posted all over our church, is that we exist to proclaim Jesus. This is our mission. We want people to know about Jesus. We want to do that while we are loving and serving both God and people. That's an uh, outstanding mission statement, and I want our church to be there uh, in doing that. Yet, that's who we are at all times, 24-7. Yet, on Sunday mornings, the first day of the week, this hour, 1045 to noon, we are a worshiping we have gathered here today to worship Jesus. 
Does everybody know that? We've gathered here today to worship God. That's the reason why we're here. Now, I've been teaching my kids this since day one, and it's important for them to get it. Yes, 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 we are to worship Jesus at all times, right? You should be worshiping Jesus tomorrow when you leave here and go to lunch. Uh, you should be worshiping Jesus during lunch, and when you go to work tomorrow, you should be worshiping Jesus then. Yes, there is no part-time worship of Jesus. And if you've ever talked to somebody who doesn't think church is important, they will quickly tell you they still do worship Jesus. They just don't need church, right? We know that. We worship Jesus all the time. But there's an aspect, listen to me, of God worshipers that God tells us must be critically, crucially prioritized. And that is doing that with other people that you're committed to. And this is what church is. Listen, I know that you can read the Bible at home. I know that you can hear a sermon tomorrow while you're at work through your earbuds. I, I know that you can worship God somewhere else. Obviously, we know that. But God, in explaining to us what it means to be his children and, and follow him and, and know him, has taught us that those who do also commit to a group of people that worship together. One of the main reasons why we are here today is so that all of us together are worshiping God in a meeting, in a service, in a worship service. So what I was telling you, I'm always teaching my kids, is the, the simple question of why do we go to church? And there's a lot of little answers that work. Those are things we do through church. But one of the top reasons of why we go to church is to worship Jesus with other people. Worship Jesus with other people. This is important for you to understand. And if you don't understand that, then, then being a part of church will never be that important to you. But when you understand that God has taught us to do this, then it becomes really, really important. And even when you wake up early on a Sunday morning and you look at the weather on your phone and it says, like it did to me this morning, that it's two degrees out. Two degrees this morning when I looked at my phone. I didn't say, don't need to go today. I said, it's going to be cold there today. <laughs> because being with you guys and worshiping together is part of what it means to be somebody that worships God. Absolutely, I got to do it at work tomorrow, and I got to do it at the basketball gym this afternoon, and absolutely, I got to do it when things are tough and through the hard times and trials. Yes, we have to be God worshipers at all times. We are. But there's a time in the week, namely Sunday mornings at 1045, where we do it with each other. And our commitment is that. Now, when we get into this idea of worship, I don't want to overcomplicate it. It is us giving our emotions, our adoration, our, our love, our praise to the one who is worthy of it. I think y'all know this about the word worship. It, it, it comes from the word worth. 
whatever you give all of your energy to is worth most to you. Think about that. Whatever you give all of your uh, emotion and, and joy and passion to is what's worth most to you. And here you have the word worship. And we just sang, very fitting, worthy, worthy, worthy is God. God is worthy. And so today in our passage, I want to challenge you that you would be a God worshiper. I hope there are a whole list of reasons why you come to church and why you want to be involved with church and and why you want me to be your pastor and to be open about me being involved in your life and us being involved in your, in your life to help you grow in a relationship with God. But I want you to be a God worshiper. And I want us to draw a line saying that if we're not worshiping God in our hearts, then something's not right. We need to make some changes. We need to make sure we are worshiping God. Read with me at Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. There's our word. You see that, worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now there's our word worship, but Herod is not honest about wanting to worship Jesus. And we'll see that. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And here, here it is in verse 11. Here, here's what we're looking at today. They saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense, and myrrh. In verse 11, you've heard this passage. I preached it just a few weeks ago as a Christmas sermon. When these wise men got there, listen to this, to a person they had never seen before, to somebody they had never talked to, to someone they have never heard talk to them, they hit their knees and they worshipped him. Not only did they worship him, but they came with, with, with devotion, with sincerity. There, was, there were gifts. There was gold and frankincense and myrrh, valuable gifts, gifts with, with some worth to them, and they brought them. They fell down and worshiped him. You, you cannot picture a setting today where 
big, successful people with status would be bowed down to a baby in awe worship. Now, we can certainly picture people being happy over a baby. We love when babies are born, and we rejoice at that, and we thank God for that. This is something totally different, and you know that. This is worship. They have bowed down. And I know you know the story, because that's a Christmas story. That's the, that's the wise men's story. But I want to ask you why. Why did they do this? They didn't come just to see it. It's not some national monument or some uh, um, special thing that they needed to see. There was more to it than that. They came to worship him. It tells us all through the passage they were looking for where he was so that they could worship him. And when they found him, they did. Why? Why did they worship him? Well, let's stop for a second about what worship is, like I've said. It is understanding a great worth. They, although they had never seen him or, or, or spoken to him or had him speak to them, they, they knew that there was something absolutely of tremendous supreme value in this little baby. They knew that the worth of this baby was, was worth more than anything else, worth more than delivering a package of gold, if you can even imagine. They knew that he was worth more than anything else. They knew his worth. But why? What was it about him? Although we didn't know him quite yet, and they didn't either, what was it about him? Well, I want to follow this. Three things. We'll look at here, and then we'll look at Matthew 28. The first thing was that who, who he was. Although they had not seen it in him, they knew that this baby was king. He was king of the world. They knew that this baby was God. He was God in the flesh. They knew that this baby was Savior, Savior of sinners. They knew this. How did they know this? God's word had been telling us that he, had, he was coming and he was coming and he was coming. The Bible has been teaching us throughout the whole Old Testament that God was coming to redeem. God was coming to save. God was coming as the answer. The Bible has been telling us this from, from the beginning. We've been looking forward to it. There is a longing in people for God to bring the answer to all of our problems. And they knew this. And then it climaxed with the fulfillment of the scriptures. Even here in Matthew chapter 2, verses 6, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, we have God explaining where this one, this Savior, this one coming would be born in Bethlehem. This is how Herod figured out where to go. They were following, the wise men were following the star. This is how Herod figured it out. So they knew, listen, the wise men knew that this Savior was coming. They followed the star, and although they didn't know much about him yet, he had not grown up, he was still this, this little child, they knew that he was the one, he was the king, he was God, he was the Savior. That's one of the reasons why they worshipped him. Why else? They knew who he was, but secondly, they knew who they were. You really, really, really have to get this. And depending on who your big influences are in life, you may be missing this point most of all. They knew they needed him. They knew that they weren't right in and of themselves. They knew that they were not God. They knew that they weren't 
fully right in and of themselves. They knew that they had sinned against God. They knew that there was rebellion in their hearts and in their lives. They knew, like Romans 2 teaches us, listen to me, that the conscience bears witness inside of us that we've sinned against God. Now, I can stand up here, and I think some Sundays I do, and absolutely tell us that we are sinners, that we have done wrong, that we are guilty before God, that the wrath of God remains on us, as the Bible says, that God's punishment is coming, that, that, that the hellfire is a real thing. We know that those things to be true. But I can also tell it to you from this other angle, which says, in every single one of us, without a doubt, there is the witness of simply our conscience that we're not right with God. Every one of us are in that same position. Now, we may argue from there on what will make us right, and if it's necessary, if it's not, if it's not and why are there all these differences, but the one common ground that everybody here, and you know what, everybody else beyond here, spread across the whole world is that we have not been holy and perfect and of God in and of ourselves. This is the state of what it means to be human. It is to be a sinner. And these guys knew this. How many big, successful, wealthy, wise men do you know and how many of them are willing to come and hit their knee in bow down, surrender, and reverence, and worship to a king? Not many. But here in this passage, the reason why they are is because they knew who they were. They knew who he is, they knew who they were, and then thirdly, they knew what they needed. They needed somebody to make them right. They needed somebody to fix them. They needed somebody to help them. They needed forgiveness. Ultimately, they needed salvation. They needed that. And, and this is the whole longing of mankind, the groaning of all creation. This is the whole hoping and waiting and watching of all of the people of the Old Testament leading into the New Testament. When will God send our help, our relief, our Redeemer? When will He? And so when He finally did, remember the angels are proclaiming it, the shepherds are hurrying with haste to see Him, the wise men are traveling across the globe to get there. Everything changed, as Galatians 4 said, as I said here at the Christmas Eve service, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. These wise men knew that. They knew who he was, king and God and savior. They knew who they were in need of a God, in need of forgiveness, in need of love that would bring wholeness and fullness and, and sense to their lives. And they knew that he would give that. They knew what they needed. They knew that with God, Psalm 130, 
forgiveness is available. He knew that. And in knowing those things, listen to me, the response was a bow-down worship. I want to stop here and I want to ask you, do, do you see that pattern going in your life? When I ask you if you're a God worshiper, it would only come from that. Do you, do you know who God is? Are you certain of His majesty? Are you certain that He is big? Do you know that He could stop your heart today? Do you know that He holds your life in His hands? Do you know that He made you? Do you know that He loves you? Do you know that He's the one caring for you and leading you and taking care of you? Do you know that about God? Do you know that He is a king? Do you know that he is a savior? That him coming to you is him coming to help you? And then do you know some things about yourself? Are you honest enough with your conscience to admit that you have sinned against God? Do you admit that you need him? And then in acknowledging who he is and acknowledging who you are, do you rejoice that he's provided that? Do you understand grace that God loves you just because he loves you? Do you know that God is treating you not the way you deserve to be treated necessarily, but by the way he wants to treat you through his son? And so have you responded to that? Is your life a response to that so that you are now a God worshiper? All circumstances aside and all life situations aside, before we start to even think about our lives and where we're at and how tough it is and all of the difficulty and the things that we're going through and those type of scenarios, are you a God worshiper? Bowed down before him because of who he is and who you are and what you need? And you're so happy here today that in God, you have that. A Father in heaven that loves you. That if you sinned ten times yesterday, he forgive you of all those. And you sin ten times today, he forgive you of all those. You sin a thousand times tomorrow, he forgives you of all of those. That's your God. Are you a God worshiper? As the wise men are. We see here in this passage in Matthew chapter 2, they have not spoken to him never before had they seen him yet in all out zeal passion they bowed down to worship him turn over now to matthew 28 the last chapter in matthew if you're using the pew bible it's 918 at the end of the gospels you have the crucifixion death burial resurrection and that's what we have here in Matthew 27 we have Jesus being uh, on trial and then being mocked and beaten and then crucified nailed to the cross we have him dying in Matthew 27 him being buried and being put in the tomb and then at Matthew chapter 28 let's start reading in verse 1 now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. 
He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Look at verse 9. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Notice that the one that they had just seen on that Friday, beaten to a bloody pulp, crucified on a cross, hung there to die, dead and buried in the tomb. They had seen every bit of that. Here we are three days later, that Sunday. They're run, they've seen the empty tomb. They're running, verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them. The risen, glorious, sin-taking, death-defeating, Satan-crushing Jesus, right here in verse 9, stumbles into them, it seems, bumps into them, met them, and said, Greetings! Notice. And they came up and took hold of his feet and did what? Worshipped him. They worshipped him. Certainly there was a lot of catching up to do, right? A lot of talking, a lot of explanation. Hey man, where were you yesterday? How, how did that happen? Didn't you just die? Tell me about it. Where did you go? What were you doing Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night? Where were you? How did all this happen? Please, where are the scars? Are you okay? Do you still feel any pain? Explain. Right? There are a lot of conversations that we want to have with God that will clear up a lot of our questions, right? And certainly they had some too on the first ever Easter morning. But so much bigger than the questions that we might ask is the one worthy of our worship. And we know that when we know Him. And so their response, I'm amazed, is the cold of reading verse 10 and Jesus said to them do not be afraid go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will seek me so he said they will see me so he tells them run find the disciples and have them meet me in Galilee I'm going to meet them there and now if this is a movie this would be the most awesome part of the movie we have the risen Jesus saying go get my men and, and when he says go get my people this means everything to us because these are his disciples, his guys that he's been investing in in his mentorship program for the last three years. He's taught them everything, and he has said he is training them to go out and change the world, and we know that. But this whole awesome plan that Jesus had to reach the world has been really messed up because he died. And now they're up hiding somewhere, don't know what's going on in life, and he tells these two ladies, hey, go get them, tell me in Galilee. The, the excitement right now is unbelievable. Verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And hardly anybody believes. Verse 16. The very end of Matthew's gospel. The Great Commission the most important passages in the whole Bible to us. Watch this. Now the eleven disciples, as they were told by the ladies, came to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17. 
they saw him. Everybody see that there again? They work. Now notice what it says after they worship. Some doubt. Everybody see that? In the Great Commission passage, Matthew 28:16-20, with the risen Jesus with him about to send them out with all authority, with the great plan from God to go and make disciples of all nations that will be the commission that lasts for the rest of the world, the very commission that you and I are being pushed by even this day. There is doubt among his followers. But even among those commissioned, even among those believing, even among those doubting, Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshiped. This is a lot different from chapter 2, is it not? In chapter 2, the wise men had never seen him, yet they fell down and worshiped. Here, the disciples have seen him nearly every day. They know him through and through. They know his voice when they can't see his face. They, 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 they recognize his face when they can't hear his voice. They, they know him. Even when they know him to be dead, they recognize him as soon as they see him. These are his people. These are the guys who have been with him. They know him through and through. They know what he's like. They know how he teaches. They know how he treats people. They know what he's able to do. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him turn the other cheek. They've seen him do so much. And yet their response is the same. They worshiped him. Matthew chapter 2, he's a baby. They worship him. Matthew chapter 28, he's the risen Savior, and they worship him. Why? Let's ask the same question again. Why? Well, here we go. They know who he is. They know what the wise men knew, but they know it a little bit further. They know that he is the king. They not only know that because the word had been pointing them to that, they not only, they, they, they not only know that because God's word had been telling them that like the wise men do, but now they see him to be the fulfillment of it. They've seen him say that. They've seen him live that. They know him to be God. They know him to be God through and through. Jesus is God. They've seen it. They've heard it. They've dealt with it. They know him to be Savior. They've heard him say that I will die on the cross for your sins and rise again. They've seen him die on the cross for their sins and now rise again. They know him. They know who he is. Why else? They know who they are. The disciples know this through and through. They know themselves to be a, a sinful group of guys. They know themselves to be those who, who make big statements and then, and then see them come back against them. We've seen Peter deny Jesus. We've seen Thomas doubt. Here we see some doubting. We've seen sin and sin. We've seen one of the disciples, Judas, completely fall away and chase money instead of God. They know themselves to be waiting know who he is and they know who they are and then thirdly they know what they need him. they know they need him. they know they need a redeemer they know they need the forgiveness of sins they they know they need salvation and it's all coming full circle now in their minds it's all crystallizing and becoming clear to them that he 
is the one. And so it's only fitting here at chapter 28, verse 17, at the very end, that they worshiped him. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, they worship him. At the end of Matthew's gospel, they worship him. Both passages say the same thing. They worshiped him. The wise men didn't know him personally, but they knew he was king. And they came to worship the king. The disciples did know him personally, and yet they came to worship him. Matthew is wanting us to understand in his gospel our purpose to worship Jesus. Do you worship him? to praising Christ is prizing Christ. The key to praising Christ is prizing Christ. That's getting at what I opened up with when I said that what we give our energy and love and devotion to has most worth to us. And so when Jesus God have the most worth to us when we prize them most then we worship them when we don't we don't and so we can kind of reason and deduct to deduce that what's happening in our hearts and lives when we are not focused on worshiping Jesus is that we don't we don't love him most and this at the beginning of a new year is something we need to change we need to deal with, we need to be honest about. Do we worship him? Does he mean the most to us? Does he, is he worth most? One person has said that worship is the attitude of the heart. The attitude of the heart. It's something that happens inside of us before it can ever happen on the outside of us. And when you think so much about issues that people have with churches and religious people and all that today where what they're seeing in their lives doesn't match with what they're saying this makes perfect sense what's happening on the outside is not what is supposed to be happening on the inside and there's your problem but when Christ is prized on the inside when your heart loves God then what comes out of that is a life of worship a commitment to God Piper goes on to say that worship is real, authentic experience in the heart with God, or it is nothing. If we are being totally honest, there are people that come here every Sunday that do not worship. If you don't love God on the inside, if your heart is not focused on who he is and who you are and what you need and see that in, in understanding that you have it in, in God, then there is no worship. And where we go wrong as a church, listen to me, let's be real honest today, is when people like us say they're like us, say they are Christians, say they're the church, but they're not worshipers of God. If God is not most valuable to you, if God is not worth most to you, and yet you and I are seen the same, then anybody looking at that says, that's confusing to me. And here we have a problem. 
Worship is to be a place where God is treasured on the inside. We have the warning in Matthew chapter 15 from God. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Doesn't matter what our lips are saying if our heart is not treasuring it. Doesn't matter what our lives are doing if our heart is not treasuring it. It's not worship. All sorts of acts of service, feeding the poor, caring for the needy, giving of our money that is not from a heart that treasures and prizes Jesus is not worship. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well, and you're familiar with that story. And she had, she had been in a, in a tough situation with a lot of different relationships, and Jesus knew everything about her because he's God. And Jesus starts talking to her about having a fulfilled, satisfied life. And she starts talking to him about getting hung up over worship. We're supposed to worship on this mountain, and you say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus stops and says, no, no, no. Worship's no longer about where you He says, worship in spirit and in truth. That's the only type of worship. Those that worship in spirit and in truth. In Romans chapter 12, as Paul is explaining Christianity, yet again, after he's just finished, he says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, every, every bit of our living as a sacrifice to God, and then he says it like this, this is your reasonable act of worship. Worship. That our entire lives surrendered sacrifice to who he is and who we are and what we need and how God has provided that, that he is our king, he is our God, he is our savior, he's our father in heaven, and our lives are a response to that. That is worship. Well, let me remind you of that passage that we read in the middle of the service that Austin read. We have Jesus coming out of the wilderness after he had been fasting for 40 days. And then we have Satan coming to him and tempting him. And on that, on that third temptation, Satan says, I will, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus. Imagine the irony. If you'll worship me. Jesus could have taken so much. So much opportunity was before him. Promotions and money and success and benefit and status and all of that could have been given to Jesus. Now the irony is that he didn't need it and we know that. Satan's foolish. He doesn't think right. Jesus' response is, no. You need to know this. He quotes the Old Testament. Jesus says, no. We only worship As Jesus is dealt with opportunity and advancement and success and prosperity, what governs where he goes with it is an Old Testament verse that says, Worship God alone. Why? Because on the very inside of Jesus, at his core, in his heart, with his passion, with who he is, is a love 
He is a God worshiper. This is what true worship is. Turn with me in your Bible to Revelation chapter 4. And we're going to end here. It's the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4. Just go to the end and find chapter 4. I've asked you, why would these grown men, the disciples, worship? Why would these grown men, the wise men, worship? Two totally different settings, yet the same response. And I've shown you that it's because they knew who he was, it's because they know who they are, and it's because they know what they need. And I want to ask you if you're there yet. Are you, are you at that point in your life where you're ready to say, I've, I've been here enough, and I've heard you preach enough that I, I know who God is. Or you've read the Bible, or you've, you've been around enough Christian people, you know who God is. You know Him to be big and strong and creator and good, and He doesn't make mistakes, and He's holy, and He loves you. You know God. And then you know what you're like. Do you know what you're like? Can you begin a new year being honest with that? I'm not saying you're the worst person in the world at all. I'm saying you're flawed like we all are sinned against God. We need God to help us and forgive us of our sins. Are you there? Are you recognizing that? Well, the next step for you would be to come to Him in providing everything that you need and bow down to Him and worship Him and say, God, thank you. You're worthy. And I say that because, listen to me, we're getting to the very end here. Because that is where every single one of us are going to end up. The Bible tells us the moment that we, that we die, we stand before God and God deals with us. And heaven is a real place and hell is a real place and God determines who goes there based off his love and grace and us trusting in him and being forgiven of our sins. And in the book of Revelation, we have a description. John is given a vision of what that heaven looks like. Read with me at chapter 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, it was loud and clear. It said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So, so far, nothing's confusing, right? We've got a throne in heaven. That's where God is, and the person talking to him is loud. He sat there and had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, so, so precious jewels. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders. And just real quick, without a big explanation, the 24 elders represent all of the redeemed. All of the redeemed people, saved people, are represented by the 24 elders, okay? Clothed in white garments, that's familiar to you, right? Once we are forgiven of our sins, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus washes us clean and makes us white as snow. They're clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Remember that, golden crowns on their heads. Verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of of God. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not confusing. The torches of fire explained as the seven spirits. Seven is the number of holiness. This is the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. 
just a further piece to put God in a category of other, not like us. The throne of God surrounded by an ocean. Verse 7, or continuing in verse 6. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now pay attention, verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Verse 10, the 24 elders. Remember, all of the redeemed. Look at verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Heaven is about worship. Worship of God who is our king. Worship of God who is our maker. Worship of God who is our savior. And in heaven it says that all of the redeemed will bow down and worship him. And then it goes on and says, they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It's no accident here that in a picture of heaven, we have God's people bowed down before him, worshiping him, saying, God, you are worthy. In Matthew chapter 2, the wise men come, bowed down, worshiping him because they know he's worthy. In Matthew chapter 28, we have the disciples seeing him risen, bowed down before him, worshiping him because they know him risen and Lord and worthy. And those are pictures here on earth of what heaven will be like. God's people bow down before him, worshiping him because he's worthy. Church, he is worthy. Let's bow ourselves before him. Let's be worshipers of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us in the Bible in several different places that God is worthy, that you are worthy, and that in understanding that, knowing who you are and who we are and knowing our need, we come to you crying out, believing and trusting. Oh, Father, make us a church that really worships you. Make us a people that does, that we would be God worshipers. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.